We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Nothing more annoying than a bunch of people bitching and moaning and giving their opinion about a list of fixtures where every team plays every other team twice. So let's do that now. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We're going to complain about the fixture list. It is an annual tradition where we look at a list of all the teams in the Premier League, see that we're playing them all twice, and somehow arrive at the conclusion that we've been screwed. Uh, in addition, though, coming up down the road... Uh, Mo Mohammed, uh, you might know him as Mo Squared on Twitter. He is a stats bomb analyst and scout uh, extraordinaire. He has phenomenal, phenomenal ability to break down uh, young players and prospects and things like that. And we're going to talk to him about the transfer rumors. So there's plenty of transfers coming up on this pod. If you missed it, Clive and I did a whip around of all of the transfers on Patreon earlier this week. That is up. You can listen to it now if you're a patron. If you're not, no worries. We got plenty of transfer talk on this pod, but we will be doing a weekly uh, Patreon transfer whip around uh, throughout the summer, and we'll have some special guests for that as well. So uh, something fun to do if you want to join us. Otherwise, of course, there'll still be plenty of stuff right here for you to listen to covering all the transfer rumors of players that we will inevitably not sign. Here to talk to me about the fixtures is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause Get My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. Before we talk fixtures, let's just really quickly find something else to slate the club about. Uh, I kid, I kid, but I don't. Uh, so two things. First, the Burgess news uh Darren Burgess sacked leaving the club um I'm curious just to get your take I mean we know basically nothing about this other than what's made it out into the public and really that's not very much so if you just had to take a wild ass shot in the dark guess at what's happened here what would your analysis be uh 
well, somebody's to blame for shit uh, mm. politically. Do you um, think this is one of those cases of I confess he did it? <laughs> <laughs> Might be. But like a head has to roll. Like I started looking at Arsenal as like the Soviet Union post uh, the 19, what was it, 1917 revolution. Mm. And it's just this bloodlust blood with heads rolling. Uh, where everybody's more of an ideologue than the guy whose head he just chopped off. I feel like I when we talk about heads rolling, can you keep that more to France in the the French Revolution? I think there's more the guillotine resonates yeah, yeah. more there. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could go that way too. I Rain could swing terror. towards yeah. France, but okay. yeah. So I think uh, Darren is somewhat the victim of somebody's got to get blamed, and it it's either him or Emery that embarrass themselves, but there's no way he gets fired if he and Emery were on the same page. So they clearly weren't on the same page. They might have been kind of in the middle there somewhere, uh, but th they were not in lock sync. I think it's interesting as well that Chad Forsythe is now not going, not leaving the club, which was kind of interesting that he was. Uh, and maybe that that's he was just offered a cool job at AC Milan, so he took the move, or maybe he had his own frustrations with how things were going. But, I mean, he's the longer-serving uh, guy there, and it looks like, uh, at least according to the, the media, and they never lie, um, Shad is actually coming back to take that Darren Burgess position. It's, it's, an, it's interesting that he didn't get in the first place. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, uh, is it just convenient or... Uh, There's a lot of promote from within going on, Arsenal. I mean, Vini gets promoted after Ivan leaves. Kajigugu, we're yeah, calling Kajigugu. him. Kajigugu gets promoted after Sven leaves. Now it looks like Shad is going to get uh, the job that Burgess is vacating. Not a lot of uh, uh, finding other solutions outside the club, which could be for better or worse. Um, you certainly wonder how the same people who have been guiding Arsenal on a downward trajectory are now going to step in and guide it on an upward trajectory, but that's not to say it can't happen. A few little notes here that I think are interesting, Paul. First of all, um, there's an interview with Dennis Suarez. It just happens to be out right now. And mm -hmm. Suarez basically says, I showed up. I got hurt. I wasn't fit. They kept playing me. They kept training me. Something was wrong with my pelvis, um, which who, who hasn't felt there's something wrong with their pelvis. Although for me, that's more of a therapist issue than a, a, a phys physical injury. But, um, yeah, I mean, so anyway, moral of the story is that, like, you wonder, did Emery look at this and say, hey, I had one guy I wanted to come in in January. It was the only move I could make. It was a lone move. I needed the numbers. I needed to strengthen the squad. The guy I brought in somehow squeezes through a medical with an injury issue, doesn't get fit. I don't get the right information. He winds up not being available to me the rest of the season, and a head has to roll as a result of that. Um, I don't know. You know, the Ramsey thing. We know that Emery said himself that he was told that Ramsey shouldn't be played and that Ramsey wanted to play, and he did play him, so we don't know. We do know that Arsenal covered the most ground in kilometers this season of any team in the Premier League, not to mention went to the final in a European uh, tournament that has an extra round over the Champions League, so played a lot of games this season. So I do wonder if some of this is Emery waking up and looking in the mirror and seeing Burgess over his shoulder. I don't know. I mean, do you, do you feel that some of the issues that plagued Arsenal, especially down the stretch, can be pointed back towards fitness and that maybe this makes sense? Um, I mean, if we managed to run more than any other team in the league, and we did, um, that's a big jump from the previous year. And I, I think it would be very hard to say what the issue was. 
my personal guess would be not that Darren Burgess did a bad job because he got us to where we ran more than anybody else. Um, it's that he and and Emery just didn't see eye to eye at the end of the day. Is he bad? No. Is he on the same page as Emery? Well, apparently not. Um, and uh, to your point of recruiting from inside, I mean, it's it's feeling much more like the easy option than the anything other option. The, oh, oh we're a bit of a train rock, wreck, and the one thing we know we have to do is let go this guy or that guy or the other guy, or we we're n- things aren't working out with this guy or, or whatever, be it Sven, be it uh, Darren Burgess. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like there's a plan. There's a plan to get rid of people because we can't get on with them. Um, but there's not a plan to hire the best or to promote the best because none of these feel that way. They're just like, we were looking for a, a replacement for Sven for a while, but hey, maybe we'll just stick with the guy we had and we kept him. Uh, it just seems like a mess. And then you look at the mess over Dennis Suarez, who you know, I'll continue to maintain it's not like we couldn't have used a good Dennis Suarez. There are people who make that case we couldn't. Sure, we could have. We could have used Mkhitaryan. We, we could have used anyone to strengthen the front. I mean, look, we needed yeah. two more points. You look at the team we put out against Palace, and yep. even though I was always, as you know, a Suarez skeptic, I think yep. it's pretty clear that had he been fit and usable, he could have come in handy in a run-in where we just flatly collapsed. Yeah, it's almost like the people who did this uh, were amateurs and hadn't done this before. Um, and, you know, for all the, fi- you know, my f- fingers twitch and appointed Emery, but, it, you know, Emery's really responsible for the first team performance and for going for top four and Champions, or U- Champions League placing or winning the Europa League. That was all he bloody thought about. Uh, he wasn't worried about the youths, the loanies. He wasn't worried about... Uh, doing the physicals for Dennis Suarez. The man was up to his arse in alligators at the time. So I'm mm. going to cut it. There's plenty to blame him for. But Raul, for fuck's sake, what are you doing? Yeah, that's a good it, question. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, go and we know the cranky situation. But really, this all falls on Raul. He got rid of Sven because apparently they couldn't see eye to eye. Because he was going to get Manchi in, obviously, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another <laughs> one. Why did... Why did Mon- well Manchi was coming till he decided? I think till he decided the same thing Emery announced, which is there's no fucking budget. You know, a lot of people were like, "Oh, don't be too worried about the fact that we're only doing loans at Christmas. It's because we're stockpiling the money till summer." That didn't seem right to me, and sure didn't seem right to me now. I think Manchi said, "Oh yeah, great, great, director of football, wonderful. What's my budget?" And they told him. And he said, you have got to be shitting me. And he turned right. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, my, my question always is, I'm sure Arsenal were offering him a hell of a good salary to come manage that paltry budget. So, like, a lot of people are willing to try the challenge if the money is right for them personally. I, look, we're, we're sort of getting out over our ski tips here. The one thing I will say is that it, it feels like passing the buck for Burgess to get fired here, to wake up and look at how we finished our season and say, yep, the problem was the head of fitness, the head of high performance. That feels like passing the buck, but we'll never know. I do know that we covered the most ground of any team in the Premier League. We played you know, just about the most games of any team. You look at Liverpool, Klopp's teams used to finish 
at the top of the distance covered. That's what he wanted to do. He's altered that. They finished middle of that table this year, and they went all the way to the end of the Champions League and, and nearly won the Premier League. And you look at Spurs, who totally collapsed at the end of the league season and really had nothing left in the tank. Um, they were the second most ground covered in the Premier League with, you know, what has to be said, a relatively small squad as well. So, like, you do wonder if managers have to understand a little better about pacing themselves throughout the season, and I'm sure Emery has a lot to learn there. It was his first season managing in England with this kind of schedule. Let's move on to another topic real quick before we get to the fixtures, and that's youth, giving youth a chance. Um, I definitely think that a lot of people are looking forward towards the rebuild at Arsenal and recognizing that incorporating young players is going to be part of that. Um, and that there's a lot of young talent at the club that needs to be incorporated, certainly better than it was this season. Uh, Christian Bielek has come out and said, my future is unknown, but there is one thing I can say for sure. I will definitely not go back to Arsenal U23 team. At this stage, it wouldn't make sense. If I do not receive the possibility to join the first team permanently, I will have to look for other solutions. I feel like a senior player now, so I want to play senior football. Um, he has been impressing admittedly at a much lower level of football feels like he's been around forever it is time if ever I think for him to join the first team Cole Bramall Cole Bramall came out and said he wasn't given a look by Emery and that you know he's disappointed to see his Arsenal dream and I think that's a slightly different situation because I don't think he was ever Arsenal caliber I think that was a long shot at best but when you look at that quote from Bielik and you look at how youth was incorporated or or more to the point not incorporated this season do you think the big challenge for Emery this next season or certainly one of them is just finding ways to get these talented young players into the squad and see if they can become part of the future well yeah and I think it's clear in his first season that what was not what Emery was focused on he was there to coach us into a top four spot and it's basically all he cared about and it kind of showed um but the Bielik uh, comments or Bielik, whatever. And by the way, I want to thank Ars Blog News for posting that link with the translation. So full credit there, yeah. where it's due as yeah. always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's quite pointed. I mean, he says, but I did not find out anything specific uh, about him, Emery. In other words, he's heard nothing about or from Emery. If Wenger was still in charge today, I would definitely say that I'm going back to Arsenal, going on a tour and fighting for a place in the first team. Now, that's that's very, very pointed. And my take on it is, again, I'm, I'm not sure that's Emery's problem. That's fucking Raul's problem. These guys, I mean, whether we're keeping uh, Bielik or selling him. That, that feels like giving Emery a pass. I mean, he even says it. Arsene Wenger would have told me where I stand. I mean, that yeah, but the in first Arsene's team coach tells Arsene's the young job. players they're going to be part of the first team tour. That's uh, I, I think that's a coach's job. Uh, Go ahead. On. Yeah, yeah, fire away. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Arson was everything back in the day. So, of course, he talked to yeah, Arson, And Arson would always have a door open, and he loved the young players. Emery's up to his Arson in feckin' alligators. Who should be looking after Loney's and making sure that they know they're loved? And, you know, whether we well, buy we only had a loan manager a couple months ago, right? So that's part of the problem right there. It is, yeah. But... I mean, come on, there's not that much to do for these guys. I mean, we got hundreds and hundreds of staff. Why is nobody making these guys? I mean, if it's Bielik, if it's uh, Cohen Bramall, okay, no, no big deal. But, but, he, but make, can he I ask again, you a question, Paul? Just he real, again mentions Wenger. Real so, quick, if you're considering yeah. your professional future, your career at your company, and yeah. your boss calls you in, sits you down, spends an hour with you, and really plans out, maps out how he sees your career, she sees your career developing at, at the company— now imagine that instead, the boss's executive assistant 
calls you in and he's like, hey, the boss isn't going to meet with you, but he's giving me some notes and I'll go over with you what he thinks. Like, which is going to make you feel that there's a legitimate path and plan? For, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't think this can be delegated. I think if you want to develop a relationship with the young players of the team and make them feel that they should stay and fight and battle and be part of the future of the club, if you indeed want that, that you have to take a personal role in that part of it. But this is an Arsenal club asset. This is Raul's responsibility and his director of football to make sure all the dots are joining. Yeah, I mean, Emery has a role in this, but Bielik is not his fucking problem. That's an Arsenal problem. He's here to coach the first team. And yes, he plays a role in all of this, but Raul and his director of football, who he doesn't have and didn't appoint and didn't line up after he he, uh, bumped um, Sven... um, it's their job to make sure all the dots are joined together. Uh, I, 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 you know, does Emery have a responsibility? Yeah, but it's a secondary responsibility. His job is to work out what the fuck's going on with the first team. And it's Arsenal's job to make sure that everybody else, all the other uh, ducklings following the duck, uh, aren't getting lost and, uh, and heading off down the wrong road. So, yeah, okay, Emery. But Raul, uh, to the power of 10 for this shit... I mean, who else are we not, you know, is Emery supposed to be all over what's going on with Reese Nelson? I mean, the guy doesn't even speak English, for God's sake. That was his year one. That was his job coming up to speed with what he's got. He, he's got so much on his plate and it didn't go well. I don't I'm there's so much to slam Emery for. Uh, I think it's a danger to just throw everything at him. To me, this is Raul in our organization and having the people in place to cut to make sure all the bases were covered. And back in the day. People felt that Wenger cared, and they don't even know who Emery is. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you know what? That that is fair, and I think that is a charitable but also reasonable explanation. And that while I do think Raúl should be on top of this, I mean that to me it feels a little below his level. But ultimately, I still think if you're a player and you want to go fight for a first team place, then you want to know that the first team coach is interested in having you do that, and. So not having the first team coach do that doesn't mean you don't have a place, doesn't mean you don't fight, but it certainly, to me, could put that doubt in your mind. And, and Bielik is expressing I mean, look. Look, we, I think that's fine, but it's Raul's job to make sure Bielik gets his time with Emery because it's an Arsenal asset. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, We're also, I mean, let's use the facts we have. The facts we have are that the player himself has come out and said, the old coach would have done this and the new coach didn't. Now, that may be a misunderstanding on the player's part of how the new structure should work, but clearly the player himself has drawn some conclusions, right? He wants a relationship with the coach, but it's yeah. Raul's job to make sure we're not losing our little okay. ducklings off the side. Fair, fair enough. Look, I mean, I, I I think at this point what we can agree is it's troubling if this communication isn't happening and yep. maybe disagree slightly about where that communication should come from. But we really need to get well, to... Yeah. So I agree where the communication may come from. I disagree with who owns the problem. It's mm. Raul who owns these assets for the club. Um, Emery's up to his oxters. So Raul should be making sure that Bialik and whoever gets their five, 15 minutes of fame with Emery. And he tells them he loves them. Well, I mean, we'll uh, we'll see how this plays out, but I mean, we're going to get more information on it because there are other young players like Reese Nelson, Emil Smith Rowe, yeah. Nketiah, uh, Saka, 
uh, Willick players who we need incorporated, not to mention if we go out and add additional youth in the summer. So we'll see. We got a few minutes here now. I I think we can put 10 good minutes into the fixtures because it is critical that we break down for you uh, the details of the fact that we are playing every team twice. Uh, home yeah. and away, which is a scandal. Um, so let's just start, first of all, with the start. Newcastle away. How do you feel about that August run at Newcastle, home to Burnley, at Liverpool, home to Spurs? Not exactly straightforward. Not exactly straightforward. Challenging. Hmm. But um, we played two tough teams to start last year. And yes, we we took a couple of losses. But then you get it's a good way to test yourself and get your shit together and then go on a, a run. Things get real, real quick. Plus, we have the break after that of that interlull. Mm. Uh, interlull always, right after the North London Derby. So yeah, yeah, which always seems so weird just when you got it's like you're making love to your partner and you haven't done a very good job. Uh, but things are getting better and wouldn't you get into the swing of things. Oh, wouldn't and then know. like they suddenly get up, put their clothes on and head up to uh, like. Uh, Lamington Spa because they got to visit their their grandmother uh, in an unexplained way, and so I think that's what it'll feel when we get to August thirty first. It's like what where what who's gone? We're I, just getting into the swing of things. I only barely so. followed any of that, but I do take your point. And I think, look, let's say I mean let, let's let's yeah. lean into the doom just for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say we take three points from our first four fixtures, and then we go into an interlow. Let's say we lose at Newcastle, lose to Liverpool, lose to Spurs. Now, I'm not—I don't think that will happen, and I'm not saying that will happen. We beat Burnley at home. I mean, at that point, do you think we're already in patience with Emery is gone crisis mode that early in the season, or do you think it's going to take a little more time before something like that would happen? Well, the shit will hit the fan, but I don't think at the deepest level we'll be in crisis mode. But the headlines and the reactions will be pretty bad. Yeah. But we get a two we get two weeks to calm down. Now, if we keep losing after that, then yeah, we're in big big doo doo. So we got to get some results. But yeah, uh, and I, I do think it's ripe for for uh, some agitation, but not quite yet. So I think even if it's not a great four games, uh, the shit will hit the the headline fan. But but you have more time than that. One bright spot is we do have a very forgiving group stage Europa League domestic fixture situation. Mm. Now, that shouldn't matter because hopefully Emery will have learned a lesson and be even more heavily rotating for the Europa League next season. But, like, again, um, you know, it it's pretty straightforward Premier League fair following the Europa League, at least proposed Europa League dates. So we can feel at least a little bit good about that, hopefully. Um, in the September, and it's Watford away, Villa at home, United away. So, you know, three games only. I mean, Watford away, we're not sure what to expect from that. That can be tricky. Villa at home should be a win. And then Man United away, obviously, not a place we've been successful. October is Bournemouth home, Sheffield away, Palace home. This is the one that sticks out to me, Paul. If we're going to if we're gonna look for, you know, the new Project 24, mm-hmm. you get it off here. Nine points in October, win all three of your league games. Bournemouth, Sheffield, Palace, home, away, home. Now, we know Palace at home is virtually unwinnable, but you have to try. Because um, then into November, it's Wolves home, Leicester away, Southampton home, Norwich away. Uh, Leicester away and Wolves home, again, difficult but winnable. That's seven league fixtures. And then Brighton home, again, totally unwinnable. West Ham away before City at home. So if we look at the games between United away and City at home, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that's Project 27. 
The trip-up spots there look like Leicester away, maybe maybe Wolves at home or West Ham away. But again, it it's not tough. I mean, would you say that if we're going to make a charge for top four and if we're going to have a season that, that we can get excited about, that October, November, early December period between United away and City at home, that's where we have to, to make it happen? It is, uh, and when you when we look at that uh, run in over Christmas, New Year's, that's a spicy one. So we need to we need to have got some points and some confidence at that point. That's definitely the run. Mm. Uh, now there's, a, there's an inter- inter- lull in there, by the way, between Leicester away yeah. and Southampton home. There's an international break. Yeah, yeah. I'm not known for my analysis of the fixture list, but here's an uncanny thing: if you look at Watford, Aston Villa, Man United, Bournemouth, it goes. Away home, away home. And if you continue that thread and you take the first letter of each, it goes, ah, ha, 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 ha. Isn't that? I don't think our season is going to be a laughing matter, though. So No. I don't know. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, that's it. Project 27, Bournemouth home, Sheffield away, Palace home, Wolves home, Leicester away, Southampton home, Norwich away, Brighton home, West Ham away. Other than Leicester away, will be probably heavily favored in all of those games. Then it's City, Everton, Bournemouth, Chelsea, United, Palace. It gets a little tricky through December, January. Um, as far as the holiday fixtures, just real quick, um, you know, it's we a have... Bitch. Yeah, we, we, we have quite quite a difficult one there to look forward to, thankfully. I mean, City, Everton, Chelsea, and United with only Bournemouth away in between them. That's a stretch where we ironically could go from Project 27 to Project 3. <laughs> right? I mean, is is yeah. that could you see that being where the wheels come off that like we felt like we were doing all right, we we're right back in a top 4 battle and then lose to City, lose at Everton, beat Bournemouth, lose to Chelsea, lose to United and we're at Palace away uh after another interlow with or sorry, FA Cup date with um you know, three three of our last what 15 points. Yeah, I think that's a very if there's a period where the wheels come off and we're out of the title chase by Title chase, top four chase, (laughs) top four chase by uh, whenever. It's probably that Christmas period. I mean, you still have time to make it up if you go on a run, but fuck. So yeah, Man United is January first, and then we kind of have an not quite an interlull, but a slowdown till in the Premier League at least till January eleventh. So Um, that's that's yeah. Yeah, and then I I think if you want to look forward to one more reason to be terrified. So let's say. We are in the top four race right till the bitter end, uh, and you get into April, May. Spurs away on the 25th of April, Liverpool home on the 2nd of May. That's probably going to be right in between a Europa League semifinal. Um, and, and Leicester home on the 18th, so like Wolves away on the 11th. That late April, early May run, Wolves away, Leicester home, Spurs away, Liverpool home, your quarterfinal and semifinal Europa League is getting slotted right in there. Um, is that another one of those cases where Emery, if it's still Emery at that point, could be could be really looking at like a oh god, what do I prioritize kind of situation? Uh, I mean, yeah. m- much the same way it played out this season. <laughs> I-, I hope he's really learned that. I mean, we're not. It's not the Farmers League final anymore in the Europa League. He said that himself. So I hope he's weaned off this, uh, all my eggs in the Europa League basket. Hopefully we get knocked out before then so we settle down to 
what our love your optimism. Our, mm-hmm. Yeah, what our real goal here is, which is to be a valid and viable top four challenger. And um, so, would you prefer to have to have those uh, venues flipped for the Tottenham and Liverpool game? In other words, that we played uh, Tottenham uh, at home and Liverpool away. No, at the at the end of the season, because Tottenham at home we could beat. Liverpool were probably fucked either either direction. So no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't flip them. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at it, Spurs away, Liverpool home this season was two points. Spurs home, Liverpool away was three. So you could say that's better. But like, I think we can go get points at Tottenham, and I think we can get points home to Liverpool. I don't think we can get points at Liverpool. So then the question yes. is. Would you rather the one win at home in Tottenham? Well, it's not a guarantee. So give me the two games that we can be competitive in over the one game we can be competitive in. Um, okay. And then, or- look, when we come to the very, very end of the season, if we're still in it on the last day, Watford at home, bad news, everyone. It's my birthday. Uh, we will almost certainly be fucked as a result of that. So we tried. Hashtag we tried. Arsenal 2019-20. Catch the fever. Pause on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. My name's Elliot Smith. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, Mo Muhammad from Mo Squared on Twitter, Stats Bomb Scout and Talent Analyst, is going to break down all the transfers. Players you've never heard of, some you have. We'll talk Carrasco. We'll talk Frazier, uh, because why not? But we'll also talk about some some lesser-known names and get real in-depth and real uh, granular on some of these players and what we can uh, look forward to in not signing any of them. So stay with us. Really good stuff coming up after the break. All right, we're back, and now we have the part of the podcast that everybody actually came to hear, which is transfers, squad building, scouting talent, all of that fun stuff. Uh, A chance to talk about the kinds of players Arsenal can potentially look forward to having in the squad next season. And so uh, we have an expert on the pod to do it. I will spoil it a little. We're going to be talking about the names that you'd expect Arsenal to be going after, right? So it's Messi, it's Ronaldo, it's Pogba. No, I kid. It's it's young players. It's players sort of on the edge of the news. And I think this is a really fun chance for us to dive in and understand the crop of talent that, you know, maybe while we don't know about them, could be the players that we wish we had known about a couple of seasons from now. And here to do that with us is Mohammed. You can find him on Twitter at Mo Square. He is a writer for StatsBomb. We're thrilled to have him here. Hello, Mohammed. Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, it's funny. I say we um, like I'm a we. I'm not a we. I mean, normally this podcast is a we and there is a panel of people that makes up the we that we are. But I am thrilled currently to have you here. So I just don't want you to think I'm the kind of weirdo who refers to himself as we. (laughs) I'm a different kind of weirdo. No, no worries. I'm like quite excited myself. I've been a Patreon supporter of you guys and like I've really enjoyed the stuff that you put out well that is uh, awesome and now uh, I'm blushing and it's all going to get really uncomfortable and awkward for the rest <laughs> of the podcast um, did we just become best friends yes we did um, okay so uh, first and foremost let's let's do the, the scouting thing let's cover some of the players that people may or may not have heard of we'll start with one that I think most people are aware of because of the club he's at um, but actually you know before we do that I had an idea and I forgot it because you uh, flattered me to death so just before we dive into the players specifically, let's talk about sort of your process, your background in doing this, and how you go about gathering information and thinking about these players uh, personally before you start writing about them and putting that out there. Oh, no worries. Um, so, like, I've been looking at young talents over the past, I guess you could probably stretch it back to, like, 2015 or so. The first couple of years when I started to write about young players, it was primarily on 
Liga, given that like France was like a nice place to get cheap talent with high upside. And over the past two years, I thought that it would be a good idea just to kind of expand the horizon and instead of Liga, looking at the Eredivisie, looking at the other big five leagues. And yeah, so like it's been really interesting going through like all these prospects and trying to figure out like what makes them tick, what are their strengths and weaknesses, and then trying to figure out how they would fit towards where football is going at the highest level. So like your Liverpools, your Manchester Cities, how they play and figuring out if these talents can make their way up there. And if they can't, then you're trying to then see like what is their upside and what level they can go. Do you sort of keep a hit rate for yourself, like a track record kind of quietly, like your own little um, evaluation saying like, all right, I liked this guy two seasons ago. He didn't pan out. Or I liked this guy three summers ago. And now he's at a big club. Like, do you sort of keep your own little, what if I were a scout track record of how you're doing on talent evaluation? No, but I (laughs) no accountability. I love it. (laughs) uh, Yeah, no, I really honestly should. And I think especially over the past, like, what I've done the past two seasons, I definitely like, I like made up a list of like, like a rough list of like the players that I really looked at. And like, I think I could probably then like look through them trying to figure out like if I hit or miss on them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think especially like 2017, 18 and this past season, like I could probably in, in like future seasons, I can look back and see if I messed up or not. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we have to look back very far to see if Arsenal has messed up. That's why we are uh, in the position we're in, and you're going to help us get out of it. And you're going to start by telling us <laughs> if uh, if we should be going after Nkunku, a PSG player. I have exhausted my knowledge on him right there. Um, Ted was pretty tight-lipped about Nkunku when we had him on the pod previously. I'm hoping that you were willing to be a little more at ease giving us your thoughts on this player. Oh, I have no contractual options. All right, so fire I can, away. Let I can rip. say what I can. <laughs> I have like free liberty. The problem with Nkuku is that like we just have a we have like a limited sample size. This was the first season. Twenty eighteen nineteen was the first season where he played over a thousand minutes, and B like he's kind of been shuffled all over the place. So like it's you mean positionally? It re- yeah, it was like really. It's really hard in a lot of ways to figure out like what he is, and like this morning, for example, like I looked over like three or four matches in terms of like on ball events that he that he had in Liga and like I like him and like I think that he's got kind of the outlines of what you would want from like I would say like the Ramsey role the kind of like 8-10 like hybrid midfielder who likes to get forward and such because he's got good passing diversity he can hit it short he can hit it long he can um, he's also got like good functional athleticism in terms of being able to turn and then use like a quick burst to get past his opposition so like he's got like the skill set of what you would want out of like a modern advanced midfielder but it's just a we don't have a lot of we don't like have a big sample in terms of what he can do and b he also played on a super team and the thing with young talents is that you have to be cognizant of the fact that like playing on like mega team mega clubs like psg will distort some of your value and potentially a lot of your value so maybe that's the case with Nkunku I think there is enough when looking at like video of him that like you can project that even if like let's say Arsenal got Nkunku he could be like at least an average Premier League player and hopefully maybe slightly above average and given that like I would assume that PSG wouldn't want to what would uh, wouldn't like um, bargain so heavily for him? Like maybe you can get him on a discount, and in that case, then I could see like why Arsenal would try to get him. 
Yeah, I mean, PSG don't seem to me to be a club that's too worried about, oh, we could be giving away a prospect that could play for us in three seasons. Like, they are constantly in win-now mode. They have limitless resources. So if they sell a guy for £5 million who becomes a £50 million player, they don't really care. They'll buy him back for £50 million. So it's, I don't think that is is too big an issue with them. I mean, as far as, you know, the the issue right now with Arsenal having a lot of young players in the academy who may be sort of on the cusp of knocking on the door to the first team. Do you see Nkunku being a player who would just be lumped into that group, threatens that group, or potentially you think could come in and be a first-team starter right now, plus have the ceiling to go on to greater things in the future? I think he's good enough to where if he played 1,500 to 2,000 Premier League minutes, he'd be like at least an average like Premier League player, which I think is is that some... our ceiling, Mo? <laughs> is that, is that what well, I mean, like I'm saying that it's kind of like the rough floor. Maybe he's better. Like I honestly don't know what this guy's ceiling is because we don't have a sample. We don't have like a major sample size on him. But you would plug I him think... in and play him in the Ramsey hybrid role in a midfield three and sort of a four-two-three-one or four-three-three. Yeah, I probably would okay. because uh, like he's got the athleticism to like he can either make off-ball runs or he can like pick the ball up himself and then dribble a little bit. And he's got. From again the video I watched this morning of him, the three or so, three or four matches, like he had really nice touch, in particular like in tight areas. So like he can do like one two combinations. He can make like little short passes when he sees like an off ball run from a teammate. He can make uh, passes into the penalty box and even through ball attempts. Like he's got like good coordination on the ball that I think should transfer over to the Premier League. Um, so like yeah, I like I think like he's I I think he's good enough to where like if Arsenal say got him on a loan with a cheap option to buy, I would definitely like think hard about doing it. Okay. Um and then just lastly, obviously one of the things that you lose with with Ramsey is not just the surging runs and the hybrid role, but the end product. So as far as developing any end product, I mean Arsenal is short on end product period outside of the strikers. Do you see that being something that could ultimately develop into his game? Yeah, I could see. I can definitely see him like adding more off-ball runs into like his game giving. Like, given that he's like pretty mobile, he's got the athleticism, and like even within PSG, like he's allowed to make runs into the penalty box, like every now and then as well. And so yeah, like I can definitely see that part. Like in terms of like actual shooting skills, I don't know because like diagnosing shooting skills in general is a very finicky thing. But but mm. I think he can do. I think he, he can approximate a decent the decent amount of value that Ramsey brought in over the past few years. And maybe he turns out to be as good as Ramsey once he gets to age like 24, 25, or even 23. Okay. Well, I mean, encouraging enough certainly sounds like someone we could potentially get and and has the kind of skills to replace a player we're missing. Uh, I think all of us would agree that we're missing defensive talent, pretty much full stop, with the possible exception of uh, Hector Bellerin, who isn't even fit. So Saliba... Uh, center defender Saint-Étienne, I believe is right. Um, really yep. stretching uh, my my encyclopedic knowledge of, of world football. Saliba's <laughs> a player we have touched on a bit, but I'm curious to get your sort of specifics on him. What kind of defender is he? Uh, what kind of defender do you think he could be? And and is he a player that Arsenal should go for? Um, well, like I've read like people like making comparisons to like Koscielny, and I actually think it kind of makes sense given that like Koscielny like during his peak and when he was like fit like he was more of like a proactive type of defender and that definitely is Saliba as well given that he's 
pretty mobile for a center back. Um, in terms of like his passing, I think it's functional, not like spectacular yet. He can definitely like make the like in the first phase of buildup when he's like collecting the ball near his own like penalty box. If he sees like an open teammate within the half spaces and he's like clearly wide open, like he can make those type of passes. If um if he's higher up the pitch and he sees like a player making kind of a little looping run into the final third area or even the penalty box, he'll definitely try to make a long ball pass. It's not it's not great yet, but like given that he's eight, given that he's a teenager, like it it's definitely understandable. But that strikes so, me like, as more of a back four central defender than one of the wide center backs in a back three. You don't want him necessarily stepping into midfield as much. Um, I don't know, honestly. I th- I mean, like, he did play, like, a little bit as a fullback, so I can definitely see, like, with some growth, him becoming that type of center back where, like, if you're building out from, if you're building out from the back, he's, like, on the wide right, and then you have the center back on the, uh, on the wide left, and then you build from there. I think he can have that level of responsibility in due time. In terms of, like, defensive positioning it that's just very hard to diagnose for center backs given that it's system related. a lot of it is system related and even like center back stats in general are like at the whims of what type of like defensive system you're playing under so i think there's a i think there's enough to with saliba that like you can understand why arsenal would like wonder if they should pay like 25 million and I think in due time he definitely like he has like enough to where he could be quite good in the near future. So are you as taken with his his physicality though? Like I mean, he's just he's a big guy. I mean, is that something that you think jumps off the screen when you watch him? Yeah, in particular, he's just very like he's just very mobile. Like I even like when he's like pressured on the ball, like he can make like little turns and then like move up a little bit and then like make a pass. Like he's got I guess what I would say like functional athleticism, not just like this hulking like guy but more mm-hmm. so like a guy that can move and can like he, he's got like the modern characteristics of what you would want from a, is a he, center back 2019 is he a stand-up tackler i mean watching mustafi as much as we have i think i'm desperate to see a guy who doesn't go to ground at first invitation yeah kind of i don't that's just that's a little bit harder to diagnose but like i think like he's not nearly as like rash as like someone like mustafi Okay, I'll take it. Look, I'll take it. And as far as whether you think this is the right place for Arsenal to spend a considerable chunk of the resources in a position of need long term, would you recommend him as a guy they get? And also, do you think if they went and got him that he could potentially start the season in a pairing with someone like Socrates as the the center back pairing? I mean, given like what else you have to work with, like yeah honestly which i think to some extent is kind of damning with faint praise but i mean look at what you guys have at center back it's not the greatest i actually do think he could probably step in and play like a major role but i mean if he did like let's say opening game you know at newcastle it's a back four and it's socrates and saliba would you say like arsenal are screwed or would you say that you know that could be fine like is is he a guy that we could bring in and if he had to start 25 games at center back for Arsenal this season, you'd say he can handle that load. Like, I think in an ideal world, you would bring him in and then like wield him in slowly. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe like playing like a thousand minutes, a thousand minutes in the Premier League, a little bit in the Europa League. And then the season after, you would give him like a pretty like sizable role. But I mean, like, I could definitely see in the range of options, like putting him into the deep end and he doesn't flounder maybe he's not the greatest center back right away but like 
it's kind of like the whole idea of when you're judging like prospects in the Premier League, if they don't drown in their first season, you have to be hopeful that they can be good yeah. right away. I mean, in the future as a result. So I definitely think Saliba's in that realm. I'm not sure if he's like, I'm not sure if he's like good enough to where like I would want to play him like a major role right away. But like, given like what Arsenal have to work with, I mean, I would kind of like shrug my shoulders and be like, okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe it works. I guess to be fair, right? Like if we were looking at the kind of youngster who could just immediately step in and effortlessly start in the Premier League, that's someone who's out of Arsenal's reach at this point, right? It's like the obvious yeah. young superstar is not the player we're targeting. Um, but like, for example, like I think like someone like Malong Sar from Nice, I def- like he's going to be more expensive apparently. I know like Ligue 1 doesn't technically allow for like release clause, but apparently like Nice have them. They're trying to get like somewhere close to like 40 million, 35, 40 million pounds for him. For Sar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I definitely think he could be someone like who could play in the Premier League right away and could play like a major role for like a kind of team that's trying to get into the Champions League. I'm not sure if Saliba's quite that good, but like I can definitely he, he he I could definitely see him like playing right away and not being a disaster, which I guess is a positive in of itself. Let's put it this way, these guys aren't on our list, but when you compare him with some of the other mooted center backs of like Upamakano and uh, Anderson, I think, from um, Sampdoria. Yeah. I mean, would you prefer Saliba in terms of age, price, and ability, or or do you think there are other guys that, that you'd be more encouraged by? Um, I'd probably be more encouraged with someone like Anderson, given like he given like his probable like you can probably project his passing at a higher level than Saliba, but like Again, like I think if if Arsenal did this move, like I would be totally, I would totally understand it. Okay, I'll take that. I, a totally understandable move <laughs> is is an incremental improvement in Arsenal's transfer uh, decision oh boy, making. Yeah, definitely. So, so, all right, let's move on to. We're now going to get into a trio of players whose names I I have neither heard of nor have the ability to pronounce. Although one of them I've heard of, but not this one. You'll see what I'm talking about in a bit. No, no worries. Uh, yeah, Sangare, Sangar, Sangare. Whoa, is that it? Uh, why don't you tell me everything I need to know, including how to pronounce this man's name? Abraham Sangare? Yeah, I really, really, really like him, honestly. All right, I've... let's get superficial, like really top level for people who have never heard the name before. Team, position, age, what do we got with this guy? Um, so he plays, uh, Ibram Sangari, he plays for Toulouse as a six, eight type of, he's played some as a six, played some as an eight, but like mm-hmm. if he played him in a midfield three, like he could, he would probably be like the base of the midfield. Um, I really like him just because a, the dude is like, that guy is built. He is six, three. He's got long strides. And I think more than anything, I'm just very interested in just how good of a passer he could be once he like gets older, because he's already got kind of like a base selection of passes that he can make. He can make, if he has the ball within his own third, he can make penetrative passes into like the middle third for like players within the half spaces. If he's a little bit forward, further up, he can make those passes into like the final third. He is a really good ball carrier from given that like a he's and B, like, he can move for a dude who's 6'3". So he has that um, he has that going for him. And really the thing that I wonder is that's how good of a passer he's going to be because if he can – because the thing is that he takes a decent amount of risk in terms of his passing, which could be constructed as both a good or 
bad thing, depending on how you would feel about it. Because given that Toulouse were pretty terrible in Ligue 1 this season, like the fact that he's trying to stretch his wings and trying to make those kind of high-value passes into like the penalty box or through-ball opportunities, he's not good at them currently. But the fact that he's at least having the awareness to try them, I guess, might be a good thing. But on the other hand, like I'm not sure if that's the type of thing that gets better over time. But I, I do think like he's got enough passing he's got enough like passing ability to where like he could play for like he could play he could probably like play for Arsenal like right now. Because hmm. yeah, I'm I'm really, really high on him. I, so I mean this is a Shaka replacement, right? I mean and yeah. and I mean the the issue with Shaka's mobility, so presumably you No, this kid's this kid's got no problems with his mobility. And what about he, defensive positioning? I mean a, a huge upgrade on Shaka, I can only assume. Um, I think he just can do more with him because, like, like he can definitely like get a little. Over, he can definitely gamble on like defensive actions, but I mean, given like his size and his mobility, like he could definitely like track, like he can definitely like track and like put out flames in terms of like defensive uh, defensive actions. I remember like this one play I had on my computer that I was watching yesterday. He basically went stride for stride with uh, Alain Saint-Maximin from Nice and he's one of the most like speedy wingers that Liga has seen over the past hmm. like four or five years. That. And, That's not and Shaka. He, and, <laughs> and he de- like he just stood stride for stride with him and like got the ball from him and I was like really impressed. So That's the thing that I always come back to with someone like Sangari. I just think you can do you can do more with him defensively in terms of putting out fires, especially after turnovers. Whereas like with Jaka, that's kind of not okay. the case. Now look, I don't know if this guy is white, black, anything in the middle. So please no one accuse me of racial bias here, but like you've described him as big as phys- big and physical. He can stride out. He can keep pace. He's got a range of passing off. Uh, Clive were on the podcast. He'd be drooling, hearing Vieira <laughs> in his head. I mean, uh, is that yeah. what we're talking about? I, and again, no, not based honestly, on any racial analysis. Cause I don't no, know his I mean, race. He is, but... he is black. Oh, okay. Like, you know, I had no idea. Honestly. No, um, I wouldn't say Vieira. Well, I just think like Vieira was a fucking monster. And he, was, I'm not he, even, was he was a unicorn. He was a unicorn. He, yeah. he was literally he was so good that like in some ways it's kind of it was kind of a curse because like now everyone is trying to find that unicorn. Yeah, in the same way Yaya Torre was. I mean, you just don't come yeah. across players like but but the reason I ask, I guess, is if you played him in a double pivot with Torreira, would one of them have enough progressiveness in your opinion? I mean, Shaka for all of his sins, and there are a lot of them, starts a lot of the attacks, is responsible yeah. for a lot of the intermediate value passing, the the final third entries, things like that. I mean, can can Sangare in a in a double pivot with the Torreira have enough progressive passing to keep the, the attack ticking over? Yeah, that's where I'm a little bit concerned. It would probably be better if it was Sangare and Guendouzi as the double pivot. Okay, I can live with that. But um, I think like if Sangare like hits his ceiling as a player, then yeah, you could definitely play a double pivot with him and Torreira. Okay. Um, more than anything, it would be better if you could just have Sangare, Torreira, and Guendouzi as your midfield three. Because mm. then, then you would have like something really, really interesting. You have the kind of playmaking... You have like the potential playmaking passer with Guendouzi, the bulldog and Torreira, and the more of the do it all type of box player in Sangari. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think like that would be really, really interesting. Okay. Well, I-, I will say this. I mean, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are ready to move on from Shaka, but there is no denying the role he plays as sort of the. And I know people hate this 
comparison, but quarterback of the attack, you know, just sitting back there collecting the ball and yeah. starting things going. And that's got to be replaced. And, you know, if Singari could do that, that'd be uh, incredible. I mean, just as far as like a fee, I mean, do you have any idea, you know, what something? Apparently would... he's being linked to Everton from somewhere in somewhere in the region from like 17 to 22 million pounds. Scares me a little only because Everton, not always the smartest, although that may be changing. And certainly their decision to get Richarlison looked good. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Like Everton definitely have like a spotty transfer. And well, even they like bought Theo Walcott. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and the guilty that's Sigurdsson true. disaster. Um, um, okay, well, and we'll... even like Richarlison, like you could argue that they paid a premium for a player who's good, but like you're not sure if he's good enough to wear like a bigger team would come for him from like for like a ridiculous fee. So like in the region of like 65, 70 million. And they paid themselves what? In the forties for Richarlison. So like they paid a premium for a good player, but I'm not sure like what the ceiling is for Richarlison. Interesting. Himself. I believe we stand Richarlison here, but that's okay. Um so <laughs> no, fair enough. the next name is Turam, a famous name, but not the Lillian variety. Is no. is this pronounced Turam and which Turam is this? Uh, this is Marcus Turam. Um, he plays for Gango in Liga, who just got relegated to League 2. I also really like him, but I also like him... Well, I like him because like I'm just fascinated with what he could be versus what he actually is. So he's also someone who's got like the physical like characteristics. Dude is around 6'2", 6'3". He's built. Um, he, and I'm really fascinated with him because of uh, two things. One, he is... He's got really good athleticism, both from like a strength, uh, size and strength uh, perspective, and like the ability to like beat people off the dribble, which you wouldn't suspect for someone of his size. Like, you would have thought that with him developing, like he would have probably played as like a striker or something like that, which he mm-hmm. kind of did play a little bit under in Gangon, but like a lot of his what's time his primary like, position as a left wing? Oh, okay, yeah, well, we need yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like he's really. He's got like close to, I would argue, like elite athleticism because like he can beat a person off the dribble and then like stiff arm him once he he gets past him and he does it well enough to where like he doesn't like he can get away with it without like drawing a foul or whatnot. Hmm. Like so like he's really good in that sense in, in terms of like creating like separation off the dribble. That sounds his, kind of like a Zaha situation. Sort of, yeah, but like in a in a different way because like Zaha like can do that but he doesn't use like size and strength whereas mm-hmm. like Turump like once like you're behind him he will just like keep you behind him and like not get the ball from him so he's he's kind of like in some ways kind of like a, a like a Ford F-150 on wheels so like what a Wobi would be if a Wobi had a little more confidence in that <laughs> yeah and also if I think a Wobi was like a better athlete to be honest like this dude's like really really good athlete so there's that and what I also wonder is that like he shows enough glimpses in terms of what he can do after the dribble. So, like, once he gets the person behind him and he tries to make a pass, he shows enough touch to where, like, I want to believe that maybe if he plays on a better team, he continues to grow in terms of his passing. And if that's the case, then you really have a really interesting player. But, like, I don't know if he can. And also, I think the thing that's fascinating with Turam is that given that Gangon got relegated, he's probably going to come for pretty cheap. And I always thought that he would be a good fit for Arsenal in terms of like the Danny Welbeck utility role, just like play him come off the bench or play him like spot minutes here and there. And hopefully he can grow from that role into something better. And if he doesn't, and he's just your 
new Danny Welbeck, that would still be totally fine. Yeah, I mean, a chaos agent with athleticism and physicality, like we've seen Danny Welbeck turn that into a perfectly reasonable, useful skill. And I mean, the question, if he has that athleticism and strength, could he be a pressing agent? Like, could he trigger a press? Is he someone who has that side to it, or do you think he's just not switched on enough defensively? I think that's just more so, like, he just didn't play on the team that pressed all that okay. much. Okay, so, I mean, like, so I don't, you could see I, him doing it, though, like, at least physically. It maybe, sounds like he profiles that way. Didn't see Oh, him. yeah, like, he's definitely got, like, the physical profile and the movement, the mobility to do so. Like, he's not a stiff dude. He's really, really fluid in terms of his, like, his movement. Mm. Um, and if, like, if, like, really, if it's the thing that I wonder with him, whereas, like, Sangari, like, I think there's enough to where, like, I think he could play... I think he's got, like, enough, like, base skills in terms of, like, his passing and stuff like that as a midfielder. Whereas, like, Toram, I don't know, but he shows enough glimpses that, like, I want to believe in that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds exciting. I I guess the question is, like, also, if, you know, me, my big hobby horse has been if you're going to play as a forward for Arsenal and, you know, start 1,500, get 1,500, 2,000 minutes, you better score six, seven, eight goals at least. I mean, can this guy score seven goals in the Premier League? Uh, not right away. Like, I think, like, if you're buying Toram, you're hopefully, A, going to get him cheap, and B, you're going to definitely wield him in, like, put him in, blend him in slowly. So, like, somewhere in the region of maybe 750 to 900 Premier League minutes. Okay, all right. So, really, and, a, sp- a, su- a spot sub, not a not a guy you're going to be starting on the left wing. I think, like, you, you spot start him, like, here and there. And, like, hopefully you just, like, give him, like, sub-minutes and then hopefully, like, he can perform well in those sub-minutes. That's what I think season one is. And if he shows, like, enough, like, uh, development in his passing and and whatnot, then, like, season two he becomes more of, like, a fixed starter if he shows enough growth. Because I think um, I think his ceiling is, like, he could be good, like a good above-average Premier League attacking winger. Okay. But I, I don't know how realistic it is that he gets that ceiling. All right, well, Sangari and Taram, two names to keep in mind, even if we don't get them, be curious to follow them. We're going to go with one more that people may not have heard of, and then we'll talk about a couple of the mainstream names that that are a little more uh, front of the news and and what your thoughts on those are. So wrapping up our sort of um, hipster section, Angelino. I am am familiar with Los Angelino. I am not familiar with Angelino. So uh, again, as a uh, total idiot, what do I need to know about who he is, what he looks like, where he plays, what position, and then what you think of him. Uh, well, he plays for PSV um, as a as their left back. Okay. Um, he originally was at, at Manchester City, and then he went to. Uh, well, now I feel like an idiot. <laughs> uh, no, don't worry. Like he he barely he didn't play, and then he went to the Eredivisie. I believe it was NAC Prada for uh, the 2017-18 season, and then PSV got him on a permanent deal uh, in the summer of 2018. And well, we need a left I, back. <laughs> you do, and he's. He's super interesting because, because I guess the problem is like with the Eredivisie, especially when you're paying for talents that are playing on like one of the super clubs, either PSV or Ajax. How much do you think that can translate into the Premier League is the problem. But like his passing is very, very dynamic, and I really think he could. I think if I really am a believer in terms of his passing because. He can create chances with his crossing. He can make kind of like the grounded passes into the attacking third or even within the box. He's got pretty good athleticism. I don't think it's quite like the nuclear athleticism that someone like Yusuf Atal from Nice has, where I think like that dude is just a once close to a once in a generation type of athlete. I don't think Angelino's quite like that, but he's definitely like very mobile for his position. And yeah, like I think he's a 
like he was just a he was just really really good this season for PSV and I could def I could see him like working out in the Premier League if like his passing skills translate well. Well, and he doesn't him. have to be a very good defender to be better than Kolasinac. So here's the question: I mean, does he have the versatility to be a wing back, stroke fullback, or is he purely one or the other? I think he has the versatility to be a wing back because like his positioning a lot of times was like high up the pitch. I guess like the worry is that uh, how good is he going to be? like uh, defending turnovers given his high positioning or even his own turnovers. So I, I'm not quite sure how that is, but I think like if you're getting him, you're hoping that he really hits as a passer and he hits as like a, like a mobile fullback. And then from there you hopefully can teach enough like defensive responsibilities for him. Yeah. I mean, well, look again, the player he'd be replacing is Nacho Monreal, who's basically washed up and yeah. we love him, but there's not much left in the tank. And then Kolasinac, who, cannot defend so like you know the other thing i like is, to think mm-hmm. i like to think he's better than Kolasinac. like i don't think it's quite i don't think it's a strength for him uh, in terms of defending but like i don't think he's i i would hope that he's not an outright disaster and and what's i mean again just guessing what's the fee for someone like that gonna look like um well like it seems like psv are going to like sell pretty it seems like both ix and psv are are like bracing for like a summer where they're selling a lot of their talents like Steven Bergheim who I, I adore but like he seems he's going to be going for like somewhere in the region of 30 to 40 million pounds Irving Lozano who I'm honestly surprised was played another season at PSV given like what he did at the World Cup and what he did the season this season prior to the World Cup so I think one of if not both of those guys are going to leave and I could see maybe Angelino going for 20 25 million euros possibly there's also the problem where i think manchester city has a buyback clause ah that's not so i yeah so i don't know like how you would operate with that i guess you're hoping that like manchester city don't really give enough shit about angelino so that they'll just be like okay we don't really well it just depends if they think mendy can stay fit next season right so yeah oh god i really love mendy it's a shame that <laughs> dude's, it's a shame that that dude's knees are just looking more and more like gum yeah like I. yeah well hopefully uh him and kane's ankle so uh all right well <laughs> i mean that's definitely something that we'll keep an eye on angelino because left back is a need and i'd be curious to see where if and where he goes and and if ours are on the case so then you know, I mean, because basically what we now know from the news that's coming out is that Arsenal's transfer policy uh, is being worked on by the crack staff of Sven Mislintat's post-it notepad uh, <laughs> that appears to be who's running transfer policy. But um, in the more blockbuster names you've heard of section, two that have been mooted are Frazier and Carrasco. I am loathe to touch on Frazier because it's starting to feel like this was one of those his agent just kept insisting Arsenal are interested to try to get Bournemouth to do something, maybe give him a new contract. Now he's saying he might stay and leave on a free. Um, is Ryan Frazier someone that a club like Arsenal should be looking at putting big money into? No. And, like, and for the people who are like, yes, absolutely, why no? I just don't think he fits for like what Arsenal are wanting to do. Like, given that like it seems like Unai Emery wants his fullbacks to be the ones that create out wide via like crossing and whatnot and cutbacks and such. I don't really see what the point is of getting someone like Ryan Fraser who does that. So like you kind of would have like a, you kind of have like too much of like a 
not even a good like you'd have too much too many like too many like players who well, what is Frazier bad at like so so here's the thing he he put up a season his only season really but a good, well, I think a seven goal 14 assist season something that really does jump off the paper in terms right. of those kind of counting stats now I realize when you look at the advanced metrics and some of the circumstances surrounding that you can undermine some of that but like what is he bad at what are the, what are the weaknesses in his game that make him not a desirable player to target I just think he lacks like the pop that you would want from like a modern day winger in terms of like athleticism off the dribble and like being able to carry the ball as well it seems like it just seems like he's a guy who like really relies on his delivery in terms of crosses and like passes and such and i think like if you're if like the fullback didn't have as much responsibility as it seems like he does in within like when i am system maybe you can make the argument that ryan fraser would work but i just think like you'd have like kind of a duplicate of like skills from the left side and not enough like diversity I I guess, would the counter-argument be that, like, if you look at Kolasinac and Iwobi, they both rank, like, near the top in the Premier League at expected goals assisted this season, XGA or XA. Um, Neither one of them is particularly clean with their delivery in the final third, and Emery probably ideally doesn't want to continue with a back three. So if he is going to go to a back four where the winger's going to have more of the responsibility to make the delivery, where the fullback might overlap a bit, but certainly not as much as a wingback does, would that change your opinion on Frazier? Maybe. I, I just don't think there's I still even then I wouldn't want to like here's the thing with Ryan Fraser. I don't I wouldn't necessarily like mind him being on Arsenal if he was on a free, if I could just be like, Hey, here's Ryan Fraser, he's gonna come off the bench as kind of a change of pace type of player, kind of like beat on like Like the Shakiri role at Liverpool, maybe? Sort of. Like like yeah, like that. And like what? Liverpool paid what, thirteen million pounds for him? Mm-hmm. So like I if it was either a free or like on the really, really cheap end of stuff. Yeah, I could definitely understand that. But, like, A, given that it seems like Arsenal don't have the greatest resources in terms of transfer budget this summer, like, I don't see why I would spend a decent chunk on a guy who's kind of, who's, like, not really all that dynamic outside of his delivery in Ryan Fraser. B, he's 25. So, like, if he doesn't hit, not as, it's not going to be like an Ozil situation where, like, you're, going like how the fuck am i going to get this guy off my wage packet my wage bill but it's going to be like you might have to take like a loss on him in terms of like yeah we don't need to be doing that at this point yeah it just doesn't really make sense i like fraser seems like the perfect guy like if he was on a free or if he was on like a cheap transfer like somewhere in the region like 10 million pounds sure i would do it why not change of pace type of player that would be okay but like if i'm spending 20 25 million pounds on him I just don't see what the upside is. Okay. I'm on board with that. How about another one, though, that looks like it could be happening? And with Arsenal, you never know. Uh, It's possible nothing will happen at all. But uh, Yannick Carrasco went to China, and uh, I think a lot of people have opinions about that. But the fact is that um, the reason he went to China is a little murkier. Some people think, oh, just chase the money. There's actually um, sort of a conspiratorial theory out there that, that may be closer to the truth about the people that own Atletico needing to send him to China and part of a deal to pay something back or third-party ownership. It all gets kind of murky. But regardless of why he went, he's coming back, and Arsenal seem to be in the lead to get him. How do you feel about Carrasco as Arsenal's sort of um, uh, premier acquisition of the summer? This is a move where I would I would much like I would understand it on a much better level than I would with Fraser. How do you like, feel I, about him as a player? Then I mean, I do, like I, I have to admit, I 
didn't remember him so, so well from Atletico. I mean, I remember him, and I remember watching him, but I didn't remember what kind of player he was. And just looking over the statistics, and I know those don't tell the whole story, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that he looks as eye-catching as I thought. So what are what are his strengths and weaknesses, and, and why do you like this as a move? Well, to be fair, like, my memories of him come from, like, his uh, 2014-15 season at Monaco, but, like, even those are kind of fading. But, like, I remember him being, like, this really, like, agile dribbler, being able to, like, control the ball in space. He had good coordination in terms of, like, his passing and tight spaces as well. Like, I just remember, like, he had, like, pretty good skill set for what you want from the modern-day winger. And he played on a Monaco team that were fairly, like... Uh, they were not near, like they were not close to being the expansive version of themselves that they were like two seasons later when they won Liga and they made a deep run in the Champions League with Mbappe and Kondok- and uh, Bakayoko that mm-hmm. that version. But like, yeah, I remember liking Carrasco quite a bit, and I guess like the argument that could be made from is like, okay, and at Monaco he played on a more primitive version in terms of like what they can do in attack. He went to Atletico. Not exactly the most expansive team, even though they're they've consistently been one of the top four teams in La Liga. He's still 25. You would hope that like his athleticism hasn't deteriorated from going to China, and he's still more or less the same player that he was prior to that move. So like, I think there's like enough here to like I could understand the risk, the kind of the risk reward type of kind of like spectrum with uh, Carrasco and like why Arsenal would do it because. Like his numbers, I I think even if like he hit, he wouldn't be um, like he, I don't think he'd be like a great player, but I think he'd be someone who can justify that transfer. Okay, I mean that look that's encouraging because it does look like it might happen. I think people are pretty excited about it, and the validation that it seems like a smart way to go is all I need to to sink all of my hopes into right. it. So I, I appreciate think like that. A, a decent like ex- it's not like the greatest comparison, but like when West Ham got like Felipe Anderson, there's risk in when they got him as well because his Lazio numbers at times were like really really good but then like he had spells where like he barely played as well and there were questions around like they're like kind of surrounding questions around him and West Ham got him and like it worked enough to where like they got a mid-table finish in the Premier League and all as well so like you'd hope that like Carrasco's kind of like an even better version of that to where like he's just He's just like an above-average Premier League player right away. Produces somewhere in the region of like 0.45 to 0.55 expected goal plus expected assist per 90. And if he does that, like I think that's definitely worth like 25 million pounds or whatever the price it is. That, okay. Or something I pay for him. Yeah, sounds good to me. So so let's wrap up with this just real quick then. Um, you know, as far as squad building, like we've mentioned some young players. We've mentioned some players that are kind of unheard of players. We haven't mentioned, weirdly, uh, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Kylian Mbappe, any players like that. And the reason is because <laughs> Arsenal don't have any fucking money. Um, yeah. And part of the reason is because of the way we built the squad up to this point. And so I'm curious to get your take on two things. One is sort of like, what philosophy do you think a club like Arsenal needs to be employing in terms of squad building to get this turned around? And would you would you approve of the sale of a major asset to get there like a Lacazette or an Aubameyang if the price is right, despite the fact that they're sort of the only fun things about the team? Right. So like I've always thought for like the past, I, I would even extend this back to like 2015, 2016, like Arsenal should have been Dortmund 2.0. They should have been a team that like collected a good amount of young talent and like 
use their ability as you know i i know we like to i know like a lot of people like to shit on arsenal but like it's still a global club and a club that is yeah, a huge of club in London, beautiful yeah. stadium, big club, big history, was in the Champions League. I mean, there was a lot there. Right, and they should have used that to where they get young talents. And maybe not like the highest, highest echelon of talents, but like someone like a Herving, like let's say like if a Herving Lozano like existed three, four years ago at his current Well, he ability. did exist. Just now. Well, he did exist. Yeah. Sorry, he did exist. But like <laughs> if Herving Lozano at 23 – existed in 2016 i guess like right. if you put him then like that type of player someone like you get who's not quite the a standard like young player like an osmani dembele but like a little bit lower like that type of player i thought arsenal should have been collecting a lot of those especially like when you got closer and closer to the end of sanchez and ozil's deal because then you could feel much more comfortable selling those guys getting the money and then you still have hopefully like a couple ready-made pl- like uh, replacements ready to take their role. So I, I always thought like Arsenal should have been Dortmund 2.0. They should have put like much more emphasis on like stat DNA, trying to find these gems before everyone else did get them. And then like hopefully reap the rewards later on, which they didn't. And he probably, he could have even done this like two years ago in the summer of 2017, which he didn't quite do that either. And now you're kind of paying for the sins of, neglecting to have a good young talent base that you should have had yeah, given I mean, like did, given that like you are a major fucking club with a lot of money compared to a lot of clubs in Europe you should have like used that ability to collect young players yeah and i mean it is i mean do you think that the biggest damning thing is just that arsenal have not acquired any asset that has matured in value substantially in really yep. the last decade. I mean, Ramsey's going for free. That's more mismanagement than it is the lack of the asset. But other than that, I mean, I can't think of a diamond in the rough type player that Arsenal has bought that's worked out. I can't think of a 21, 22, 20-year-old player that Arsenal bought cheap that no one really had heard of who turned out to be a huge asset. Now, look, Ganduzi might be that guy. Um, yeah, I think like at, at this rate, like your best bets are like the two guys you got last summer. Terrera and Ganduzi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess maybe this... Like maybe if everything breaks right and Rob Holding comes back from like his injuries, maybe he could have been like a good solid center back. And you guys got him for pretty cheap, yeah. I believe. It was yeah, like, I think Arson made it very clear. He's sorry he didn't cost fifty million pounds. Um, <laughs> all right, well, well, look, I, I think that that's a good stopping point. I think ultimately the names you've given us are really fascinating, and I know whether yeah. Arsenal go after them or not, I'll be curious to sort of track their progress and keep track of whether you are in fact the talented scout that you purport to be. If not, oh, right, uh, right, it's right. at most square is where you want to that's... direct any criticism. No, I'm kidding. Um, I hope you'll come back and do this again. Uh, maybe even this summer we can we can go over another crop of of targets potentially yeah sure i would be happy to do it yeah that would be fantastic all right well you can find muhammad on uh, twitter at most squared and i i most square and you absolutely should do it mo thanks so much oh thank you for having me i had a great time doing yeah this. yeah and and it's a pleasure and we will definitely do it again uh hey look my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner give us five star review write nasty things about uh let's see tim and clive you know clive nobody ever writes nasty things about clive and he definitely definitely needs that he needs to bring himself down a notch so please write some nasty things about clive we'll have another transfer roundup on the patreon side next week if you want to do that if you don't don't worry we'll have more of these pods throughout the summer with fun guests and lots of transfer talk even though no transfers ever actually happen so we hope you're having a great summer uh, we will definitely be here with you through it, through thick and thin, uh, and all that goes until the season starts uh, in August. So until then, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 transfer window. Now.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.